2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 14, and I'm going to read through verse 17 this morning. For 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 17, we're going to take a few weeks out of John's gospel. We've been pushing forward in John's gospel now for quite some time. Um, and earlier this year, we took a, a brief hiatus out of John's gospel to just consider what it looks like uh, that Jesus is light of the world and then what that means for us as, uh, as a nuclear family, for fathers and, and mothers and wives and husbands and kids and all of those things. And so we did that and we spent some time doing that. Now I want to take a hiatus. We've been We've been sort of like under this deluge of, um, of understanding and knowing who Jesus is. And so the goal here is to take a step aside from John's gospel and to begin to think about uh, the implications for that. So last week on Easter Sunday, we explored um, Jesus, there was the resurrection in the life, and he called Lazarus out of the grave, and Lazarus did not die, and Jesus said many things there, and we're going to reference that a little bit this morning. But as we go to 2 Corinthians this morning, I want you, I want you to be thinking about the reality of the fact that the tomb is empty, that Jesus is alive right now, and the implications that that has for us week to week, day to day, moment to moment. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, like I said, I'm going to read through verse 14, or uh, begin in verse 14 and read through verse 17. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, Therefore, all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who, for their sake, died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Again, the tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. That's good news. That's incredible news for us as people. And it's not news that just exists back 2,000 years ago. It's not news just for a fixed place in the world, in, in the Middle East, in some place that many of us have never been to. But it's good news for us right here, right now. Jesus Christ is alive. And so Easter Sunday, when we celebrate that, does not stand alone as its own thing. It informs everything that we do throughout our, our year, everything that we do every single day. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is the most pivotal event in human history, bar none. Uh, the death, burial, and resurrection changed the whole trajectory of reality. The direction that it was going was completely altered. A reality that was plummeting into eternal death had a complete course correction set now for a full and final restoration. Um, if you find an old beat-up piece of furniture at your grandma's house, or at your parents' house, and you're like, I want to restore this piece of furniture. What you do 
with it is you don't make it look like a completely different piece of furniture. You make it look like it was originally intended to. That's the idea of restoration. Our restoration is God making us into what he intended us to be before sin entered the world. But our restoration in all of creation's restoration, everything that we see, everything that God spoke into existence in Genesis 1 and 2, now is not a future event exclusively. It's a current reality as well. So, okay, imagine with me. Just think about this for a second. 19,247 years into eternity. That's where I want you to go in your mind. You wake up, golden sunlight is streaming through the, uh, your window, and it looks like a perfect day for a walk, and it does every day, um, which is wonderful, because today does not look like a perfect day for a walk, um, but that's fine. So you go out the front door, there's a light breeze blowing, it's beautiful, it's wonderful, everything as, as it should be. A group of children runs past you in the street, a little girl trips and she falls and she stands up and keeps running laughing there's no blood on her knee there's nothing is skinned skinned up she just keeps running with her friends as if nothing has happened you you pass a house um and you see larry and sheila having um lunch or breakfast on their porch and you you stop to chat and you, um, you recall the snowy Easter of 2022 and then how it snowed the next week and it's probably going to snow the next week. And, and, you, but, and you have this conversation with them and there was this lovely moment and then you say goodbye and you keep walking and then you see Levi in the field and then you see uh, John reading under a tree and then you see, um, <laughs> that's the one that got a laugh. Okay, um, <laughs> And then you see Emma and you see Emily and they're making food for a group of people later in the day, just like they used to on Sunday evenings for Sunday evening services at Buffalo City Church. And Peter is preparing to deliver some produce that, like he does now somehow magically. And Alex is there and he makes a pun and we all laugh. And you hear beautiful music coming from a house that you pass. And you see Nancy playing the violin, hymns to Jesus Christ the King. And I I could go on, and I'm not confident that that's exactly what we're going to see or that's what it's going to look like. I don't have that type of foresight. But but that's not really the point. But here's something I do know. And I want you to all think carefully with me about the people in this place this morning. I want you to think about the implications of the resurrection for every person in this place this morning. Because these people here in Christ are the citizens of new creation. They are the people who make up new creation. We won't be rid of each other. We will be together forever. If you don't really like that idea, remember that Jesus said that the love that we have for one another is that puts on display for the world that we're Jesus' disciples. We are immortal souls that on the last day in the resurrection will receive immortal bodies. Here, th- What's different now from what's different then is that 
what we inhabit on this side of the resurrection, we sin, we hurt others. We're not always aware of the way that we come across in conversation. We wonder how our next interaction with so-and-so is going to go. But even though our relationships with one another are imperfect now, they won't stop being relationships when we when we are raised with Christ on the last day. And so in this passage in 2 Corinthians that I just read, um, Paul writes that if anyone, you know this, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Not a slightly new or a buffed out version of something, but a new creation. We are not waiting to be a new creation. He says, if anyone is in Christ, He is, he is currently, present tense, a new creation. That means our immortality isn't something to be gained in the future, but it is actually a current possession that we have. And our bodies lie to us. Our bodies lie to us. Your body lies to you. It, it says there's, uh, you have arthritis, there's migraines, cancer. They, they come and they take over these mortal bodies. And they all say to you, you're going to die. And then we start to think to ourselves, that's my reality. But the reality that Paul is communicating here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is that that's not it. Your flesh is a liar. The Holy Spirit in God's word tells us that our flesh is our liar. And so as you feel your body breaking down and decaying and crumbling, you, you know that some greater reality exists than what you just feel. We all, everyone in this room, I can say this, um, I, I, I can say this confident, everyone has a belly button. Um, now, I'm not going to say more. Your, your belly button served a really important purpose. As an unborn baby, Your belly button served a really important purpose when you were unborn. It was where the umbilical cord connected and you got a remnant of, or you got this food and oxygen through it, everything that you needed to live in your mother's womb. But now all of you, um, with the exception of a few in this room, are outside of your mother's womb. Um, and, And because of that, you eat through your mouth now and you like breathe with your lungs, your, the, the belly button doesn't do that for you anymore. That's not what happens. And now your belly button just collects lint, which is gross, and I'm sorry I said that. But once, once, just like your belly buttons once had a really important function, so one day we will look at this mortal body that we have currently and understand that it also served a really important function even though we will have an immortal body that is raised in perfect, eternal perfectness on the last day. But you know this. You're you're more than just a physical body. You and I, we're more than just physical bodies. We're more than just um, blood and skin and gray matter and all of these things. We're more than just that. And Paul says that we are a new creation. You were dead, not physically, but spiritually. And now you're alive. You're a new creation. That's newness. And it's a current reality 
according to Paul here, not a future event. Okay, so where am I going with all of this? Um, Jesus is alive. The tomb is empty. Uh, In him, in Jesus, when we are joined to him by faith, when we repent of our sin, and when we trust Jesus for the forgiveness of that sin, we are joined by faith, united with him, um, and we become a new creation. So where are the implications for this reality? It has implications on everything. That's the first thing I want to say. I don't have time to explore everything. So this morning, where I want to focus, and we're, we're going to take a couple of weeks to think about this, and then a, a couple other things as well. But I want to focus on the implications this has for us as a community of faith. That the, a biblical community, how does, how does this reality, that Jesus is alive, that the tomb is empty, that we are a new creation in Christ, how does this affect our day-to-day living in our relationships with one another as a expression of the church in a specific locale, mainly Jamestown, North Dakota? Because the community that we have as a church is in the early stages of eternity. The community that we have as a church is in the early, because like I said earlier, the relationships that we have here don't just go away because we die and go into the grave. That's a, it's like a speed bump or something in our eternal life that is already our current possession. You and I, in Christ, we are immortal. We will not die. This is what Jesus says, even when we looked at John chapter 11. Though he die, yet shall he live, he says about Lazarus. And we can say the same thing about us. So if you go looking for a Christian community or a community in general, anywhere outside of a place like this, you won't find it. You'll find people looking for it, but no one has this shared reality outside of people who are in Christ. No one has this shared reality that they can say that these relationships that I'm, that I'm part of right now, that God has brought these people into my life, will extend for eternity. We can't say that about anyone outside of those who are in Christ. And so here in the church, this is different. We don't need social psychology to tell us how to have community. We don't need to conjure a bunch of thoughts or get creative about how to have better relationships. We just have to believe who we are in Christ and engage others who are in him as well. We are exactly what we need to be to already begin of eternity and eternity of community together. And that's ensured in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. His resurrection ensures our resurrection and ensures that all the relationships and everything that we have here in this place will continue on forever. So I want to consider a few things out of this passage and just a couple of things more closely this morning. The first being this, is just our need for community. Our need for community. Now, If you've been at Buffalo City Church for any part of like the last six and a half years of our existence, um, this is not going to be new to you. You've heard these things before. And if you're here or you're a relatively new attender, maybe these things will, will be new. But, but this is, I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel here. I just want to express to you the need for community. We've all at some point in our lives felt alone. Like what we're going through isn't relatable or no one can quite figure out or understand where we are. So the question 
Have you ever felt alone is, an, is a rhetorical one. Have you ever felt like you aren't understood? Have you ever felt like no one cares? Have you ever wished that someone would just ask how? And I, I think that each and every one of us, at least at some point, at some level, have felt these things. These things are common. And the reason you feel that is because you are created, built for, by God, built for community. You're built to have relationships with other people who are created in God's image. God tells Adam in the garden before he creates Eve that um, it is not good that man should be alone. And now he's speaking specifically about the, the upcoming creation of his wife, Eve. But um, that is a universal statement that God makes. It is not good for man to be alone. God is three in one. He's always existed in community with himself, and you bear his image. And so last week in John 11, uh, when we saw the death of Lazarus and then Jesus calling Lazarus out of the grave, we learned that Jesus had friends. Like He had friends that he loved and that he was close with, Martha and Mary and Lazarus. These were his friends. And then Jesus walked around on the earth with disciples. He had 12 disciples who went with him nearly everywhere he went. He had a community around him. Jesus is fully God and he is uh, fully man. He is truly God and he is truly man. And he had desire for a community that it is not good that man should be alone applied to him as well, and he experienced relationships. But one way that we can't quite um, think about how Jesus experienced the world is that while we sometimes feel alone, while we sometimes feel misunderstood or just wish that someone would care, um, we have never actually experienced true loneliness in the way that Jesus did. On the cross, Jesus uttered the words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was truly alone in that moment. We have never been alone in the way that Jesus was alone in that moment. He understands your loneliness because he experienced it to a degree that none of us can. And Jesus knows your feelings. He knows that you feel... His disciples half the time didn't under, more than half, didn't have any idea of what he was talking about. And Jesus had a cup to drink. His disciples could not drink it. No one could. A, a mission that was not shareable to die for the sins of the world. And only he could be the perfect sacrifice for the sins of the world. Jesus had community, but he but he can sympathize with you in those, in those things, those feelings, because, because he was the one who experienced them most fully when he walked on the earth. But I want to say this to you as well. Remember that just when you, like, like I said earlier, your, your flesh is a liar. Like it, it tells you that when your body is breaking down, that you're, you're alone in that, that you're, there's nothing for you. But again, our flesh is a liar, and sometimes when we feel things in our core, we need to remember that God speaks to us, and we need to know that those feelings are actually bound up in our sinful flesh. And we need to remember truth communicated 
by God to us through his word. Jesus was actually alone in his mission, but you and I in Christ are never actually alone because because Jesus says right at the end of his earthly ministry, right before he ascended into heaven where he is right now, in Matthew 28, he says, I am with you to the end of the age. And then in Hebrews 13, we're told that we should be content with the things that we have because God will never leave us and never forsake us. So what we can understand and know is that our desire to not be alone, the need for community, is a good one. That is a good one. And God says it's good. So if we understand the need that we have for a community as those who bear God's image, as those who are designed for community, as those who are designed for relationships, then we have to understand the foundations of our own community, of our own relationships that we have with others in this room. And so this is where the 2 Corinthians 5 passage comes in. So let's look at this together. I hope you have your Bible in front of you. Go to verse 14. And I think on this on the face of this, I don't think what we seems this seems to be a text about community, but I want you to see that what Paul does here, he does something really interesting and it gives us a glimpse into the implications of the resurrection on our relationships, on our community. And so let's walk through together verses 14 and 15. Specifically, So verse 14 says, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. Okay, so we can't jump past this too quickly. Paul is speaking when he says, for for the love of Christ controls us. He's, he's He's saying more than one. Who is the us here? Well, he's talking about the apostles. He's talking about those who have been sent by Jesus himself uh, to uh, begin the church and the work of ministry through the power of the Holy Spirit and do so in the book of in the book of Acts. So Paul, speaking on behalf of the apostles, says that they are controlled by the love of Christ. Not, not Paul's love for Christ, though, or the apostles' love for Christ, but the, the, Christ, the, 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 the love that Christ has for them. The love that Christ exhibits in his life and death. The love that led Jesus to die for all. That's what controls Paul here. Now here's the statement and the conclusion which causes Christ's love to control or direct Paul and the apostles. He says it here. For we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. Now, again, we can't move past this too quickly because what does this mean? Jesus is the one who died for all. Jesus died for the forgiveness of sins, but that word all means all kinds of people, people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Jesus didn't die for a specific group of people at a specific time. He died for everyone, everywhere, at every time. And then he says, Um, And then he says, therefore, all have died. What does it mean that all have died? It means that everyone who trusts Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins is joined together with him in his death and a life like his. I think it's clarified in Romans chapter 6, verse 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, 
we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Now, Jesus died physically on the cross um, and was raised physically, but this death Paul is talking about is a spiritual reality for us. Think about Noah in the flood. So, um, God looks down from heaven, sees the wickedness of man, pledges to destroy them, saves one, Noah, and his family. Everyone else died in that flood. But mankind wasn't eliminated. Rather, it found new life in the one man, Noah. It's the same with Jesus. In Christ's death, we are put to death. We are joined to Christ's death. And then we are given new life in him. Thus, verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Paul continues though in verse 15, and this is a bit different than the last verse, but it's important. He says, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. This is what the death of Christ accomplished. Those who, are, who lived are, or those who live are joined to Christ in his death spiritually, yet continue to live in this world physically. But they don't live for themselves, but for Christ who died and was raised for their sake. This is true of every man, woman, boy, and girl who repents of his sin and believes that in the Lord Jesus. They do not live for themselves, but they live for Christ. Not just in word, but in action also. So do you, see what, do you see what's happening here? So we're built for community. We have this need for a community. And Paul is doing in this passage, what he is doing is laying out an undisputed foundation for true community. Because everyone who experiences true community in Jesus Christ is United with him in death, this is a universal experience for those who are in Christ, united with him in death, united with him in life, and live for Jesus Christ and not for themselves. These are the spiritual realities that are the foundation for biblical community. So, what Paul does next in verse 16 is he gives us then a glimpse at what won't meet the need for the community that we have a need for. Verse 16, he tells us that our desire and our longing will not be met here. And it starts in verse 16. It, if you're reading the ESV like I, say, I am, it says, from now on, therefore, but that therefore needs to come first. Therefore, from now on, and it's kind of a joke, but if you see a therefore in the Bible, you have to ask what it's there for. Um, and, and because what comes before it is important. It's the grounding of what is here in verse 16. So understanding that all believers in Christ are united in a death like Jesus is, united with Jesus in his death, united with Jesus in his life, and live for Jesus and not for themselves, then we see this therefore. And the therefore is what he says right immediately after. We regard no one according to the flesh. We regard no one according to the flesh. So, Paul is saying, 
anyone who has newness of life, anyone united with Christ in his death, united with Christ in his life, living for Jesus regards no one according to the flesh. Um, this, what won't meet the need that we have for relationships and community? Regarding others according to the flesh. Because what Paul says at the end of verse 16 is that even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we do so no longer. We don't think about Jesus in, in the flesh. We think about him in a way that, uh, that is spiritual, that accomplished the forgiveness of sins that we need and the eternal life that, belong, that, need, that is ours in him. And so we regarded him once that way, but now we don't. And therefore, because we don't acknowledge him that way, we will not acknowledge others that way. And it says that Jesus died for all people again, all kinds of people. Jesus died for people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Jesus didn't die for people exactly like you. Jesus didn't, he died for people radically different than you. And Paul is saying that is what is external no longer is what matters. Being born a Jew or a Gentile is not how we identify people. Being born into slavery or freedom is not how we identify people. We identify people as in Christ or not. And this is where things heat up for us in this particular implication when it comes to thinking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and its uh, its impact on biblical community. Because sometimes we're so quick. We're so quick to record people according to the flesh. And then we wonder if we can have community with them or not. You do this all the time. I do this all of the time. We just look at the external. We look at a book and judge it by its cover immediately. And some of us need to repent of this. We wonder if we can have community with others. We're always asking questions like, Does this person have the same likes and interests as me? Is this person an introvert or an extrovert? Do we have the same, are we in the same age bracket? Do we both have kids? Do we work in the same place? Are they from the middle of the country or the coasts? Do they have a good reputation? Do they have, make similar money to me? Do we have a similar heritage? Do we share a last name? These are examples of what it means to regard someone according to the flesh. Regarding people according to the flesh is looking at the external and not on whether they are joined to Christ in his death and life and living for Jesus. When we regard others according to the flesh, we are looking for community in the wrong places. And we are ignoring where we should be looking for community. So, the the conclusion or the result of this is that we can only find true community with those who are in Christ because those who are in Christ are immortal. Those relationships will never end. Now I can hear objections and thinking to ourselves, well, does that mean that I don't have any friends with people who don't, or I'm not friends with people who don't believe in Jesus? No, that's not what that means. That means that we beg and we plead with them to come to Jesus, not worried about offending their sensibilities, but coming to them and saying, the way in which to have eternal life, which begins now, is to repent of your sin and to trust Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin. That is the basis of the true friendship and the basis of true community that we have with other 
people. But what this also means is that true community can only be found among those who are in Christ, in the local church, united with him in death, united with him in life, and living for him from now into eternity. These are spiritual realities that govern where true community is found and represent the foundation of true community. We do not, no longer do we regard anyone according to the flesh, but whether they are in Christ or not. So in conclusion, as, as we wrap this morning, let me, say, let me say this to you. I've been a member of a handful of churches um, in my Christian life. I became a Christian when I was 19 years old. Um, I have been a member of a, a handful of churches. This is my first pastorate, um, but um, I, so I'm biased. I'm going to say I'm biased, but I think Buffalo City Church is a warm and welcoming place where people feel at home and where true community is happening. So I'm not saying this, any of this to say, okay, like we're not getting this right. I'm saying like, no, continue, encourage, be, be encouraged by the reality that this is taken root and begun to take hold in our, in our place. And I'm, I'm excited often to be part of, and sometimes just proximate to what God is doing here in this church. And I watch, I watch people excitedly, like excitedly helping one another financially, helping one another self-sacrificially, sacrificing their time for each other, and encouraging one another in biblical truth. And many of you give to others freely and consistently, genuinely caring for each other, praying for each other, ready for the Holy Spirit to direct you to be the answer to any prayer that you have or make for another person here. At the same time, we constantly need refreshers. If you've been reading through the Bible with the Bible reading plan that we started way back in September, you'll note that as we've worked our way through the Old Testament, there's this continual refresh, refresh your mind, refresh your understanding of who God is and what he says about us and what, what is required of us. Not every sentence in the Bible is like new explosive information. It's designed to remind us what we need to do and who we are in, in Christ. And so if we're being honest, the last couple of years, the world has looked different. It's looked different for many different reasons, and I'm not going to go into all of those. But that's nearly a third of the existence of this church. If you're relatively new to this church, Buffalo City Church has acted or existed for six and a half years. We're not a hundred years old. We're six and a half years old. And so what God is doing here and what he has done here in that short amount of time is incredible. Um, but the last couple years and a third of the existence of this church has been in sort of this weird spot um, because of the nature of things in the world. And I've observed, I think, I think I'm, and others have said this to me as well. But I think the last couple of years have gone in a strange way for, for many people. This goes inside, outside the church, everyone. Um, there's sort of this pattern that's emerging in a lot of people's lives where there's this isolation and then there's this re-engagement and then there's this overcommitment, and then there's this burnout and then there's this repeat. And people kind of run through this cycle a few times in the last couple of years. Some of you have cycled through this pattern and have said so to me. 
where it's been um, you're intentionally or unintentionally sidelined, you get sick or things happen in your family that isolate you from the body of Christ or from just the engagement in society in general. And then for one reason or another, you find yourself re-engaging, but then you quickly find that you've overcommitted because you're excited to get back at it. And so you find yourself overcommitted to kids' activities, social engagements, whatever. And then you retract some of those commitments, and then you feel more and more burned out, and then so your isolation sort of starts over. And this cycle for, for some of us has continued now two, maybe even three times in the last, in the last year. And like I said, these things are happening inside and outside of the church. And, but when we as people get stuck in these patterns, I think we tend to forget why biblical community is important and why uh, community specifically within the church is important because we begin to sort of flatten everything out in our lives. We sort of begin to just say, okay, so, um, well, I'm going to re-engage and just boom, 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 boom. And then what we do is church just becomes, or biblical community just becomes this flattened out idea that we're, we fail to recognize why and what is at the foundation of our, our, our community. We treat it just like any other social organization. We treat it like any other sports team. We treat it like any other extracurricular activity in our lives. But this is what I want to say to you. We are immortal souls. We're immortal souls united with Christ in his death, united with Christ in his life, and living for Jesus. And so I will unapologetically say that any other expression of community that is not found in Jesus and his church is a pale imitation. And that should be enough for us to prioritize this. These relationships will not go away when you die. They will not. If you don't hear me say anything else, these relations, you will not be free of these people. You will be with them forever. That's good news. I hope you see that as good news. Because these are the people, the church, the people who are in Christ are the ones who are supposed to be for you, living for you, self-sacrificial for you. So what does it mean for us? It means that we need to consider if we're regarding others and even ourselves according to the flesh. We draw external lines. Have you done this? Age, class, opinion, etc. Have you regarded yourself according to the flesh and decided that you simply don't have time to be engaged in relationships within the church? Or maybe you've decided that that just isn't a priority for you. I want to say to you, the corrective isn't for us to think of the external benefits. Friends, relationships are hard. They're all a mess all of the time. This side of the last day and the resurrection, they are, they, 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 they're, they're gross. Like, they're messy. You're going to be offended. You're going to be upset. And what you need is not someone to come along and pat you on the back, say it's going to be okay. You need to be reminded that you and that other individual are united with Christ in a death like his, united with him in a life like his, and are living for him. That you have the same goals and are the same and have the same identity. The corrective is for you or me to be reminded who we are. Immortal souls, though you die in Christ, you shall live. 
You're united in Christ in his death and you live for him. So the newness that you have in Christ is not a future reality. It is a current possession. It is a current reality, not just a future promise. So when we gather for congregational worship, when we get together in homes for a community group, when we eat together, when we serve together, we take intentional time to reflect on God's word. When one family here has another family for, for, a, for dinner, or when you have coffee with a brother or sister in Christ to discuss what God is teaching you through his word, the newness of, in Christ that you have, that I have, is a means. And it means that investment in others like these is eternal. These investments yield eternal results. You don't have to worry about protecting your time. You have an eternity. You are going to, friends, you are going to, I don't know if anyone told you, you're going to live forever. So if you're, if you're here this morning and you're feeling alone, if you're feeling broken down, know that you're in, in it. That you're in the life that Jesus has prepared for you from now into eternity. And know that Jesus knows what you're going through. And again, just like last week in John chapter 11, Jesus was grieved. He mourned. On the cross, Jesus was genuinely alone. But friends, here's the question. When Jesus ascended into heaven and said, and said I am with you even till the end of the age, how will Jesus meet us in our loneliness? When we, believe, when we don't think that that's true, how will he meet us in our loneliness or in our burdens or in our sadness or our sorrow or, or in our joy or in our gladness or in our confusion or in our frustration? Friends, this is it. He will meet us with his church. He will meet us with those who are united with him in his death and his life and are living for him. With the men and the women, the boys and the girls who have names and faces that, who are sitting in this room this morning. This is how Jesus will meet us in our suffering, in our sorrow, in our joy, and in our gladness. And so friends, what Paul writes here is that we are a new creation. We are a collection of immortals, united with Christ in his death and life, living for him and for one another now. And friends, it'll never end. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the truth that you will never leave us, that you'll never forsake us. God, that you are with us until the end of the age. God, would we not seek to find that truth out in any arena except for the local church? God, would we care deeply for one another, even this morning, as we prepare to go from this place? God, would you show us, God, what true biblical community is by showing us and reminding us who we are in the person of Jesus? God, would our hearts be united together this morning because we are joined to Christ? God, would we go from this place ready to engage and properly prioritize the relationships that we have here, properly prioritize the relationships with the loved ones and the friends and family and coworkers who 
do not know Jesus. God, would you give us boldness in order to invite them into the life everlasting that we are already experiencing now as new creations in Christ. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the clarity found there. God, would you give us a heart that longs to know you more through it this week. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.